Well, good morning, everybody. Great to be with all of you today, uh, joined virtually. Those of you who are watching live and those of you who will watch this later as we talk about, I know, a topic that is pressing and on the minds of lots of parents and communities all across the state here, uh, reopening schools safely um, this fall. Uh, you know, as, uh, as the, what the immortal June Carter Cash said, time's wasting, so I want to get right into this. I'm joined by three outstanding panelists. We have Dr. Dr. Susan Pendergrass, who's the Director of Research and Education Policy at the Show Me Institute, Senator Cindy O'Laughlin, who serves Missouri's 18th Senatorial District, and Representative Chuck Basie, who represents the fight in 47th, the 47th District in the Missouri House of Representatives. So pardon the pun at the beginning here, but I'd like to sort of start by taking a temperature check. Um, so where are we? As we look at the uh, K-12 education system in Missouri, it's been buffeted by several different things, whether it was the coronavirus itself, the economic devastation that the coronavirus has wrought, and all of the other issues that don't take a pause just because there's a global pandemic. So I'd love to know, maybe we'll start with uh, Senator O'Laughlin. Um, as you look at the landscape of Missouri's education system right now, what do you see? Well, I mean, I think you see a couple things in in the more rural area you are more likely to find schools who are preparing to open just as they normally would they do have in place some um, different methods for people who may feel they have underlying health conditions or whatever um, some of them have made um, some some efforts to keep people a little bit socially distanced and a few minor things like that, but I think that they're preparing to open and wanting to open as usual. I did speak to a superintendent just before I came this morning. They are having summer school and, and they have a good school. It's in my area, they get good outcomes, they're accountable. And you know, she's, she was very concerned that any of the schools would consider not opening as usual. Um, the in-class time just can't really can't really be replaced by online learning. I know in the more urban areas, um, you know, where there's, there's more of an alarmist type atmosphere, there are teachers that don't want to come back. And of course, there are students and parents who are very concerned. And I see that Desi has decided to allow people to um, basically change the way they account for attendance so, you know, I'm, kind of, I'm pretty concerned about that. Sure, Representative Basie, I'd love to see you. You obviously, you have a, what appears to be a view, beautiful vantage point of the great state of Missouri today, but I'd love to know as you look at the, uh, as you look at the education system, what do you see? Well, uh, it's very much what uh, the Senator said. Um, however, I did find a very interesting dynamic uh, where my wife works, she's an employee with Columbia Public Schools and, um, She's at one of the middle schools and her principal sent a survey out, an informal survey to the parents. Um, and uh, over 80% of the parents opted for in-school, uh, return to in-school classroom uh, activities. And uh, so I thought it was pretty interesting being that's in Columbia. Now the, uh, the rural districts, as Senator Laughlin said, uh, they're, they're kind of leaning towards um, going back as normally as possible with uh, you know, some considerations to people that might have underlying health uh, issues. And I think that's very appropriate. So, uh, you know, it's, I, I think the kids will be pretty resilient uh, with this virus. You know, uh, it's, it's a 
very serious issue for sure. But, but uh, you know, my concerns are with, uh, you know, some staff members as well, uh, not, not just the teachers, but, uh, you know, the people that work in the office, the custodians, um, things like that. So they need to make considerations for all those people. But I think if they do it pretty much as a business does, you know, maybe uh, not a mandate a mask, but, uh, you know, suggest, uh, you know, wearing a mask and the six feet apart and all that, you know, the hygiene is very important. I think they'll get by just fine. Great. Dr. Pendergrass, what do you say? Well, having been like, once the shutdown started, my team and I started looking pretty carefully on what all the 550 districts in Missouri did or are doing. And we went to their web pages, went to the Facebook pages. We started reading Facebook feeds to see who was passing out packets, who was just uh, pointing to uh, parents into the direction of resources. And what I think happened is uh, it definitely exposed areas that of the state where either we don't have enough high-speed internet access or we don't have the skills to pivot to virtual education in the way that a lot of the urban districts and the suburban districts could. And I guess my concern for going back in the fall is, you know, that's great. We just say, well, just YOLO and, and open as usual. And then somebody gets sick or tests positive, a teacher, let's say, and what happened past spring was if that happened, they closed it back down again. So before the statewide shutdown. So then they closed down again. So then you have kids in districts that aren't able to, you know, produce a high quality virtual educational experience because of course there's not going to be 550 of those across the state, of course. And I guess my concern is more like making sure parents can access something else in that situation. We have the DESE has um, 10 approved virtual providers that parents could enroll their kids in right now if they weren't sure about what their district was doing. But that takes like, that can be a 30 day process because they have to ask for permission. And so I guess my concern is fixing a couple things immediately, perhaps a special session that the governor could call. I think there's going to be one. I'd like to hear from these two more about that. But um, a couple things like letting parents immediately access MOCAP if they think that they, that's right for them and they want to do that now without asking permission. And also for parents who have found that the in-person's not going to work and they, they they're not satisfied with mocap giving them the opportunity to find a different safe environment for their kids and that could be a safe uh, private school in-person environment if that's what they want or that could be a, a hybrid or something virtual but putting I mean, parents were in control last spring the state kind of punted to the districts the district said we'll let the schools figure it out and then a lot of schools were like we'll let each teacher figure it out which then sort of put it in the hands of parents and parents are in the driver's seat and i think Going forward, I would love to see some legislative changes that sort of keep parents in the driver's seat so that they um, can continue to, to use what they experienced last spring to look for what's right for their kid. Yeah, it sounds to me from, from a lot of the, the, the answers that all three of you just gave is that as we look to the fall, flexibility is going to be important, whether that's flexibility within schools, flexibilities within districts, just as, as different things happen in different places, as parents have different preferences, as as the virus impacts people differently, right? So my question from the sort of policy side, there's obviously the practice side, which we'll, we can ask teachers and principals about you know, how to operate their schools best. But if I think from the policy side, so Susan, you brought up there some of the stuff around MOCAP, which is interesting. But yeah, I'd be interested to hear uh, perhaps Senator O'Laughlin, if you wanted to start, what are maybe some policy things that can happen to give schools and families the flexibility that they that they'll need in this sort of quote unquote new normal. <laughs> well, 
I mean, I think everybody who is watching this understands how the public system feels about options. I mean, they're not they're not very open to that. And um, if students, which I'm fully for, if their parents want to send them somewhere else, then of course you're going to have the funding issue because attendance drives funding. I'm I'm very willing to bring that up and work for those options to be implemented, but I can assure you it will be an uphill battle. Um, you know, just the option of being able to learn online has been fought by many of our schools already. And uh, for various reasons, but I think, I think basically just because they feel threatened that if enough people did that, you know, financially it will hurt them. That's just reality. Well, I understand Bayes, that, Oh, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say in terms of the changes to the attendance law, I understand that the way the law has been written is that if, if you can't use the 2020, 2021 attendance, you can use last year's attendance or even the year before if that's better for you. So I'm wondering, does that then mean that if parents choose something else or if we were able to give what I personally am calling learn safely scholarships to parents, wouldn't those kids still be counted in their home district for at least another year? I, I you would be right about that. Um, you know, but then you still have the question of how, if you go into a private school, how will that be paid for? And as you mentioned, maybe the learn safely scholarship, which I think would be great. And, you know, there, were, there would probably be parents who would support that for a lot of reasons, but one being it's generally a smaller um, venue and they would think less risk of being exposed. So I think that would be great. So there's obviously, I, I, Senator Laughlin, you brought up this great question about money, right? This is uh, all of the things that we're talking about here cost money. We see the budget um, just from decreased tax revenue and others is an issue. So what does that look like going forward? Um, how does that affect the types of things that, that we'd like to see? Maybe, maybe Representative Basie, if you, if you wanted to take that one as you, as you sort of, as you look at the budget and, and, uh, and what the implications for that are. Well, that's a very good point. Uh, I think that's going to uh, uh, change quite a bit as we go forward. You know, when people start paying their taxes, me included, in the next uh, couple of weeks, I think the revenue st should start uh, coming in a little better. But you know, we're all facing the same thing. Um, you know, the, the budget shortfalls and all that. I think the governor's doing a pretty good job considering what is happening. But um, uh, like Senator Laughlin said, uh, we are going to be uh, fought on any kind of options uh, for parents. Uh, the public school lobby is very strong. They, they don't want any choices. They want it to be public schools and nothing else. That's been my experience for the six years I've been in the legislature and I don't think that's going to change. But I think now is a good opportunity for us to try and push uh, some type of, of, of choice for our students and our, our parents. And um, I hopefully the governor will uh, call a special session on that. I'm not sure. I haven't heard anything about any kind of an educational special session, but I think that would be a great thing to try and tackle in the next few weeks. We have a, a viewer question about uh, counting and charter schools. So when it comes to how these counts work, um, 
do we know how how the charter school students will be counted for for attendance? I believe that's the question was around the sort of new attendance rules and how charter schools play into well, that. Charter schools are public schools, so I don't know why it would be any different. It would it, to me, it would be the very same as any other school. I don't think, though, that they get that hold harmless provision of using last year or the year before. I believe that only applies to traditional public school districts and not to charter schools. So I think there is some concern on the part of charter schools. I mean, look, lots of people would love to have a special session to fix the one or two things that they most want fixed this fall, right? And I think for the charter schools, that's one thing, is that they will have to have kids in seats to count their attendance based on that new rule, which I think is two days a week, but um, they don't get that hold harmless provision. That would be a, an important thing to fix too. So I'd well, like to, I, I totally, oh, go ahead. I agree with that, yeah. So I'd like to ask about accountability, right? So as we, we fan out into our homes and schools and all of these different things happening, what, how do we know that schools are providing what they need to be providing? How do we know that kids are actually getting access to, to a quality education? Representative Basie, yeah, please. Yeah, I, uh, I can use this through my own perspective. I, uh, we have three grandchildren that stay with us uh, quite a bit. And when Columbia shut down, um, they were, um, it, it seemed like they weren't getting a whole lot of instructions from the teachers. I'm not faulting them because uh, I, I think they're trying to do a, a, the right thing. But uh, uh, I'll use my, my fifth grade granddaughter as an example. She would have a uh, bi-weekly, I think it was every, uh, twice a week, a uh, conversation through Zoom oh, with yeah. her teacher and they would make assignments and it would be maybe maybe no more than an hour and then the kids were on their own. Um, so we had to work through that. The same thing with my, uh, my grandson who is a sixth grader, be a seventh grader this year, and then I have a high school granddaughter as well and, and they all operated the same way, just a, uh, a very brief conversation with a teacher just maybe once or twice a week and uh, assignments were made and everything was submitted online through a, a medium that Columbia Public Schools were using. And it seems to me that there's, you know, everybody, I think exactly uh, to your point, which schools had to, were reeling, this kind of came out of nowhere, people didn't know exactly what to do. So giving some, some grace and understanding to, to educators, I think is really important. My guess is that maybe people will cast a bit more critical eye um, as we come back to the fall, as schools have had more time and, uh, you know, ability to prepare for these things. But Susan, I, I, I'd be interested in sort of your, your, your look at all of this. Well, both from the perspective of wanting good policy in Missouri and from the perspective of a researcher, as you know, in the 18-19 um, school year, we got the first set of test scores that could be compared to the year before for the last six or seven years. Tests had been changed, I think, four times in five years. Well, all of a sudden, in 18, 19, like, this is the first set we can compare to the year before. That's out the door, because there was no testing in 1920. We're going to pick it up in 2021, I imagine. But then I think there'll be a lot of like, well, we can't compare these anymore because of the shutdown, the pandemic, and kids weren't all in school. So I feel like there's going to be another year of like kind of excuses over knowing which schools are doing well and which schools are not. So personally, one thing that I think um, Desi and or the legislature would be uh, well put to do is to have some sort of a rating system for our schools like so many other states do, whether it's colors or letter grades or stars like Nevada, but some way of uh, holding schools accountable. Because I know now we're just going to have another, 
another set of excuses. I don't know if you guys agree with that, but it's gonna, now it's going to be 21-22 where we can maybe compare to 18-19. And that's, I can tell you from a national perspective, Missouri's slipping. There is one national exam given every two years from the U.S. Department of Education. And from the late 90s, when Missouri fourth graders were in like 15th to 20th in reading and math, we're 34th now. And states are leapfrogging oh over gosh. us. Yeah, Florida's gone from like 45th and 46th to 4th and 6th. So states are leapfrogging over us. Even if our scores are going up or they're flat, what, what we may not realize is that other states are increasing and jump frogging, leapfrogging over us. So to wait another two years to even know how we're doing is what troubles me a lot. Is there a way for us to get that information from you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd be happy yes, to if you too. would send that to me. I mean, I think in education, there's, it's very hard for people to get any kind of accurate information. It's a, it's a real frustration of mine. I think that we have some good schools out there and people doing some good things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then we also have the opposite, just like you would in any, in any other um, career type. But the testing and the way schools are rated, all of those things don't really give you an accurate indication of where students are and where their level of learning is. It's, it's very frustrating and it's something that I'd like to change sooner rather than later. We certainly have fully accredited districts that have schools with single digit rates of proficiency. So you've got like three and 4% of students are proficient, but the district's fully accredited. And you know, that to me, that's a, that's a problem. And this pandemic has just exacerbated that problem. Yes. So interesting that Joel brings this up. And by the way, those of you uh, that are watching this, you can use the Q&A function uh, at the bottom of your little Zoom screen if you want to submit questions. People have already been doing that, but I want to make that available to everyone. Feel free to send those in and I'll, I will do my best to, to get them. And so it's, it's a, a serendipity that we were talking about rating systems uh, and data because a question came in uh, over the transom here that says, when you look at the performance of DESI, from the onset of the stay-at-home orders, what grade would you give it? And as a follow-up question, what would you change if you were in charge? So put on your put on your teacher hats. Uh, and uh, Desi is uh, your student. What grade would you give Desi? And what would you change if you were in charge? Well, I, I'll jump in on that. I uh, I hate to to pile on Desi because of the pandemic. Because uh, it's been difficult on all of us, uh, but but I would say that Desi has a lot of room to improve. Um, I think their website is is just very very difficult to navigate through. It's hard to find information. Uh, a couple of years ago, you could go and you could find uh, a spreadsheet for not only school districts but school buildings within each district that had their APR scores and all of the uh, all the variables were easily accessible in that. They did away with that. Uh, now it's it's very very hard to go in and, and compare uh, school buildings and school districts, and uh, I wish they would uh, change that, go back to the way that they had it a few years ago. But um, I, I think their their website is one of the worst I've tried to navigate through, and I wish they would they would uh, do a better job in that. So uh, that's just my two cents on that. Um. Well. I'd give them a D and <laughs> Chuck is laughing, <laughs> not because I don't think they're capable, 
of doing what needs to be done, but I'm not sure that they uh, want to hold themselves accountable to what needs to be done. I mean, DESE has, I've looked at their organizational chart, I've looked at the uh, amount of money that we're investing in the people that are in DESE, and I'm wondering to myself, why do we have such a massive investment and we're getting such poor outcomes? I mean, I feel like the virus has created an atmosphere, too, where everybody's on a Zoom phone call. So, like, when the state board meets, you know, it's a, it's a Zoom call. No one can get in there. I've wanted to meet with uh, the commissioner a couple of times, and they wanted to just have a phone, phone call. Um, so I think what's happening is it's sort of a disjointed effort. The school board association, which I assume works fairly closely closely with DESE, put out their rules for reopening, and they were absurd. I mean, they were just absurd. There would be no way a school could follow those recommendations they had. So I feel like we have a very large bureaucracy, and it is it is filled with authority for school districts but the school districts have all the responsibility. So when you have someone with all the responsibility, but they have no authority, that system never works well because the people that are responsible feel they have no voice in the outcome. So I would like to see a lot more transparency. I would like to, um, as they say, local control. There is no local control. I would like to work on that aspect and free up our schools because most of them do have some measure of common sense but it, overall i'd give them a d so my perspective is i started looking at the other 50 state department of education websites just to see what other states were doing because Dusty have has some resources and um, some information on uh, finance and they post administrative memos but no real what if I'm a small school district, what should I be doing today? And I, I would just say, if you're interested, look at Nebraska's Department of Education website. They created something called Nebraska Launch, and it's a whole website. And it's, and it's like here, and it divides it up into like governance and operations and finance. And then you click on those, and it's like, here's what a district leader should be doing today. Here's what a school leader should be doing today. Appoint someone to be the point person on operate, like concrete steps. Like if you don't know what to do to reopen, do all these steps and think about these things and um, reach out to parents once a week, whatever, and how, how to communicate. And it just, to me, shows real leadership. Uh, even Alaska, I was saying, has separate reopening plans for districts that consider themselves to be low risk, medium risk, and high risk. So it just is leadership. And I totally understand local control. And my version of local control is the household, is letting parents be the locus of control. But there are times like pandemics when what you need is leadership and you need somebody to say, you know, in the beginning when the school shut down, basically Desi's website was like, we just encourage all the districts to give kids plenty of opportunities to learn. It was sort of like a get out there and do your best. And that's not leadership to me. So my question is, if you're not leading, do we need this? <laughs> not to say we don't need, do we need this organization or this organization in this format if what they're doing is sort of like a, a a center of communications to pass through administrative memos and they're not really leading because I 
having looked at the websites of many small districts, I'm convinced that they are looking for leadership. We even have a quote from a superintendent when something happened. I think when the MAPS test got dropped, he was like, finally, some leadership, all caps, exclamation points. And I know that they need that at this time. And so I would uh, just, I would be much happier if Desi were, were leading the state and not just uh, being a conduit of information. So we have another I viewer. I totally agree. Oh, wonderful. So we have another viewer question. So we were talking about some of the resources that would it would be nice to have available to schools. We do have a question from parents. So the question is, what if any resources are available today to parents who are concerned about sending their child back into a classroom this fall? Is anyone aware of uh, something that we might be able to direct them to? Well, they could start the MOCAP process and they could go on MOCAP. Um, I think that somebody's develop, developing a microsite to help parents navigate that, but right now it's a little tricky because- and Could you, you explain ask, MOCAP for maybe people who might sorry, not be yeah. familiar with MOCAP? It's the virtual instruction program that used to be called the Missouri Virtual Instruction Program. Now it's the Missouri Course Access Program. And uh, DESE has um, certified 10 providers of virtual instruction, at least one of which I'm familiar with has been around for since the 90s. So the, these are people who have, are up the learning curve on virtual instruction, which does get a kind of a bad rap, but these people have worked through the kinks of how to offer virtual instruction and they have programs ready to go. Um, right now, if a parent wants to enroll their child in MOCAP full-time, they have to get permission from districts. And there have been a few districts who have uh, fought parents on this to the extent that parents have had to get lawyers in order to get access to what they are legally entitled to, which is MOCAP. So if a parent's thinking today, like, I didn't really like the virtual instruction and the, the Google Classroom, whatever it is that they did last spring, I'd like a, an actual provider of virtual instruction, so I'm going to just enroll in MOCAP, they might be disappointed to find out that their district has 30 days to get back to them, and it's July 9th, so we're talking mid-August before you may even have an answer or you may, might have to fight. So that, to me, I think is a regulation that could be waived. The governor's been waiving some regulations and the um, commissioners waived some regulations, that permission thing could be waived now. But unfortunately, that's, as far as I know, the only option for parents. And if you decide you don't want MOCAP or what your district's doing, you're in trouble. But again, I think there's an opportunity, the funding I understand is a problem, but to give parents direct scholarships, many states are doing safety scholarships for parents. And I think Missouri should consider following suit. How so it looks does that like we're work? Up. Oh, go ahead. How does the safety scholarship work? So um, the money is given to parents in an account directly and they can use it to access private education. And Pennsylvania has a safety scholarship that they've enacted. The, the question is the cost, right? So if that student's still gonna be counted at their district on, under a hold harmless and get funding, typically the funding is half or less of state funding. So. $3,000, something like that. So the student actually costs less, but if we're gonna stick with the hold harmless, they might be double counted. But as you may realize, a recent Supreme Court ruling has now sort of opened up the door so that states mm -hmm. can fund scholarships for parents to use at any private school of their choice. So that there's no longer that uh, blockade in place. Um, I think that that would be an important, you know, maybe in the net, if there's another round of education stimulus funds, we could consider that for scholarship funding. But I think that it's going to be important. I do think there'll be a lot of parents who are, who are unhappy with their choices this fall. Well, look, we're butting up against the end of our time here. So I want to give everybody a chance to get one sort of last word uh, in. 
sort of as we're, as we're looking forward, if there are any sort of uh, parting thoughts you would like to leave our viewers with. We'll kind of go around the horn. So maybe Senator O'Loughlin, if you want to go first, and then we'll have Representative Basie and then Dr. Vandergrass. Well, I, I have to say I've learned more from this conversation than almost any conversation with Desi. So, you know, if I can have a 20-minute conversation and learn this much, think what I could learn in an hour. I mean, I'm for parents to decide what's best for their children. And, I, and I've talked to school districts who, who feel that they do an excellent job and they're not concerned about that kind of thing. So, you know, my, my goal is to kind of put all of that together and try to raise the standard in all of the schools. And I, I think this fall is gonna be a challenging situation, but I appreciate what I've learned today and I will use it. And if there's a parent on here who has a problem with the school, if they contact me, I will help you work that out. Awesome, that's great. Representative Basie. Well, yeah, thank, for, I want to thank you all for the opportunity. I think this was a great, uh, great thing that uh, we've participated in today. And uh, I, uh, I want to keep reiterating, I think what we should try to focus on is what is, uh, what is best for the parents, because the parents know best um, for their children. Um, and uh, if we just need to try to uh, keep pushing for more opportunities for parents to make a decision on what they want to do for their kids' education, whether it's private, um, parochial, public schools, homeschool, whatever it might be. So um, I wish we could uh, focus on that. And I think this is a great opportunity to do that. And uh, I'm going to try and reach out to the governor's office and see if we might be able to have a, uh, a special session on an educational issue, and, and uh, especially with the recent Supreme Court decision. I think it's a great opportunity to move forward on that and get something done. Thank you again. Thanks. Uh, Susan, you get the last word. Nice. So, um... Normally, when I talk to people about uh, parents wanting choice, I kind of have to convince them with like survey data that says parents want choice, parents want control. I don't think that's going to be the case this fall because I think parents are going to start getting a lot louder. We do know that they were giving, you know, they were sort of uh, giving some, they were conceding in the spring that it was hard for the schools, but I think if schools don't step up and offer them like a true education for each of their children, not something different for their third grade or fifth grade, like, like if they don't really feel like they're getting an education, I think we're gonna hear from parents. And so I think what's gonna happen is change will come from the ground up this time because there's a lot of unhappy parents and a lot of parents who are waiting and it's midsummer and they still don't know what's gonna happen, which is not making them happier. So I do think that we will, um, I, you know, I'm a researcher. I, I keep saying, talk to me in five years. I'd love to do a debrief on this. It's hard to do in the middle of it, but that's what I think is that we're going to hear from a lot of unhappy parents this fall and it's going to force change and the change is going to be a good thing. Well, look, thank you all so much for taking the, the, the time today. Thanks to all of our viewers, those of you that are watching live, those of you who submitted questions. Um, I would obviously, as always, plug the Show Me Institute's website, not just for education content, but for all things Missouri public policy. It's www.showmeinstitute.org. 
thanks again, everybody. Uh, stay safe out there, and let's hope the, this weather cools down a little bit, or at least we get a little bit less humidity, because I, I, I'm looking at uh, Representative Basie there, and I want to be outside too. So um, take care, everybody. It was great thanks to spend this time me. with you. Thank you.